take off early, beat the traffic. Hey, will you pick up my prescription? Of course. Adulting. Yeah, she made it to her meeting on time. I'm adulting. I fertilized my grass with some lime. I'm adulting. She's folding 20 towels on the red. I'm adulting. I made a frittata with some eggs. I'm adulting. Remember 20 years ago, I was a pro. Went out really late, ate raw cookie dough. She watched 20 TV shows, drank a bottle of Bordeaux. Felt fine the next day, went to a club till four. 20 years later, we don't frequent those facilities. We always check the weather when we plan our activities. We're sleepy at 8.30 and we water our backyard, yeah. We are adulting so hard. I clean between my toes in the shower. I'm she sat in carpool for an hour. I'm I put a bill in an envelope. I'm she sliced up a whole cantaloupe. I'm Don't make fun of my adulting. That's insulting. Got a job in consulting. And it's resulting in a paycheck that goes into a budget every day. And a little bit goes into my 401k. I'm going to crack a beer and live the good life. Yeah. Before I do it though i gotta ask my wife yeah because one of us has to drive tonight because it's, it's our kids school's big bingo night she's flossing her teeth no doubt i'm a top team i got a store card for my mouth i'm a top team she puts on moisturizer and ointment i'm a top team i made my own doctor's appointment i'm a top team hey i got invited to a boys trip in november but i'd rather spend all of that money on the new blender this is the most excited I have ever seen her when she got her couch done by a professional cleaner. We gotta go now, we're going on a walk, gonna leave our phones at home, gonna have a nice talk, and if you swear by going too fast, we will mention those young people, they never pay attention. She put wallpaper on a dresser. I'm a team. She bought a new food processor. I'm a team. I'm making sure this table is stable. I'm a team. I think I'm paying too much for cable. I'm a team. Yeah. All right, y'all. <clears throat> it's about enough of that, right? Welcome to episode 145 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. Today we are talking adult children, which is one of my least favorite phrases that gets thrown about all the time. And I don't think people really think about their choice of words, right? When you hear people refer to their adult children, you know, this is very common. You know, when, when parents age and become empty nesters, right? All the kids are out of the house. See, even I do it. They still call them their kids or their adult children. Now, I think this is very, very lazy language and actually might have a detrimental impact you know we are at the point where people deserve or think they deserve praise for doing simple adult tasks right it's kind of pathetic you know it really it really is and i think it's insulting right like i've i've talk to my folks about this once or twice because it's not cool. It's not cool to refer to your offspring as children when they are full-blown 
grown ass adults. You know, the result of this culture is that is that people get stuck in a state of perpetual adolescence. You know, this is something that I've thought a lot about and referred to a number of times. Perpetual adolescence. It's become very, very difficult to grow up. And I think that's a cultural problem more than more than anything else. You know, what I'm going to do here without trying to bang the microphone, I'm going to pull up reddit.com slash r slash adulting. I came across this not long ago. And uh, hang on just a second. I'm doing this a little different this time, y'all, because I'm using StreamYard. So I'm hoping I can get this done in one take without having to come back through and edit. Adulting, the subreddit on Reddit, right? It says adulting colon for those who are trying to be an adult, right? Trying to be an adult. Even though most of these people are probably in their mid mid to late 20s, if not 30s, they are still trying to be an adult. And if you just scroll through this subreddit, you know, it's kind of telling. It's kind of telling. You know, I'm seeing one here. It says, how do people cope with reality? I hate work because I'm lazy and depressed. Working for the next 50 years doesn't seem possible. And coping is getting more and more difficult. How is everyone not suicidal? I'm turning 21 this week and I feel discouraged. I'm already just completely tired and fed up with working. I have the best job I could really have with my current situation, but still every morning is a challenge. I procrastinate on sleep because I know I'll be going to work when I wake up. You know, he's, he goes on to say, fundamentally, I do not want to work. Call me lazy because I definitely am. But whenever I'm doing something I don't want, I'd rather just be dead. I mean, Jesus. Seriously, how do y'all go to a therapist without going broke? This is the next one. Is being an adult hard? This is a 19-year-old says, I know this is probably a super dumb question, but whatever. I'm worried that once I get out of school, I won't be able to survive. Basically, I'm wondering if I can get a basic job with no experience. Can you sustain yourself? You know. People are having a very hard time growing up. So, you know, I'm not going to read any more of these, I don't think. Yeah, one that I find interesting here, it says, why the hell is making friends as an adult so hard? You know, how do guys over 30 stay skinny? Like I said, this is just, it's kind of, a barometer here. You know, I know Reddit's not a perfect cross section, but these are common issues. You know, one person says it absolutely sucks to not have the time to enjoy 
the pleasures you loved as a kid? You know, guys, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I'm going to try to kind of organize them along the way. But I've I've mentioned before, you know, my my very best friend growing up still lives with his folks. And I'm not saying that to be disparaging. I'm saying it because it it's been a strain on his and my friendship. You know, I'm trying to build a business and I'm, I'm busting a hump, you know, I'm doing the podcast, I'm doing my writing and I haven't seen much of that friend in a long time, you know, just maybe once in the last year, even though we don't live that far apart. And it's partially because I just don't want to hang at his parents' house. And I think, you know, without sharing too much personal details, you know, I think maybe his problem is that he's just been coddled and kept comfortable, you know, living as easy in your parents' basement. There's not a lot of fear of the unknown or, you know, questions of how, how you're going to make ends meet or what to do next. You know, it's kind of like he, I think is just in this loop of comfort and convenience. And, and a lot of people find themselves in that kind of position. Um, you know, it's kind of, like I said, I just think it's kind of sad and I don't know whose fault it is. You know, I believe it, like I said, it's very much cultural. Okay. This is not any particular person's fault. It's just the way our culture has degraded gradually over the last, I don't know, 50 years or so to get us to this point where, you know, not only are 18 year olds completely unequipped for the real world, but oftentimes people in their late 20 or you know, 30s are equally lost. They are not competent adults. They do not have the basic skills required to succeed. You know, and perhaps that's, you know, I'm, it's kind of understandable, right? Like there's a lot of bullshit you gotta, you gotta learn how to do to exist in our current culture and society. You know, it's not just about being, you know, a human in the natural environment as it once was for our ancestors. You know, now we have to survive in this, this artificial world. You know, we have to, we have to know how to, how to do the basics to get by in this, in this system that's built up around us. And I understand why people are just saying, you know, fuck that shit, you know, like the whole trope about adulting is, you know, is hard. It's like, it's really not, but I understand the lack of motivation. You know, it feels like all, all this crap is just kind of false, phony, artificial. You know, it's kind of like we get so accustomed to having a relatively easy existence, food in the fridge, you know, 
warm roof and, and walls and you know air conditioning all provided by mommy and daddy and people don't want to give it up that ease that that comfort now i maybe i'm unique maybe i'm not but i i pretty much strived and struggled i i sought out struggle that's what i did because i I think I knew in my gut that I didn't want ease, at least not without earning it, you know? Like I wanted to do something. I wanted to make something of myself. I wanted to learn. I wanted challenges. This is why I got into outdoors stuff, survivalism, camping, backpacking. You know, it's a challenge. It's a real world challenge with real world consequences. You know, in school, we we talked about sort of the benefit of these outdoor programs being that they teach grit and perseverance and and you don't need to punish anybody. You know, if if you have a student on a backpacking trip and they're just not doing their share, right? They they don't pitch the tent, they don't cook the meals. You know, sooner or later, the group is either going to correct it or that person's not going to be able to make it. You know, they'll get sent home early. You know, the whole idea of natural consequences, like if you are lazy putting your tent up and you don't want to bother, you know, staking out the guy lines. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the night, a big gust of wind comes through and just knocks your shit over right on top of you. That's how you learn. That's natural consequences. That's learning the hard way, which sometimes I say is like the only way I know how to learn. You know, I, I can't learn anything sitting in somebody's parents' basement playing the same video games that we played 20 years ago. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, you know, I don't have any solutions per se for any individual person, but, you know, I think unless unless someone has that willingness and that desire for challenge, it's so easy to just, to just go along with the programming. And like I said, stay right in that comfort zone. You know, I have got another clip here for you. This is a gal, um, you know, kind of a young vlogger, if you will. And she is kind of talking about some of these issues, right? And she uses the term adulting. That's how I found it. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but you'll get an idea. You know, I'll give her credit. She is, she's trying at least, you know, she's struggling with it, but she's trying. So here we go. Oh, just a second. I am back with a girl talk. And today I'm basically going to be talking about adulting, early twenties, living alone. I get questions about it all the time. And I thought, let me just make that the topic of today's girl talk. I had you guys send in questions and topics on my Instagram. I tried to filter them and turn them into questions and just statements that I'm going to be talking about. And I am obviously sharing my personal experience. You can share your advice in the comments as well, because everyone obviously goes to different things and I don't think I'm the only person that can give someone advice on these things. I'm turning 23 in like two weeks so this is kind of what I have experienced in the past few years. Let's get into the topics because 
there are so many and I feel like this might be a long video. Moving out and living on your own. Last year, I ended up moving out with a, at the time she was my best friend, um, but I had a roommate. So if you are still a little scared to move out all by yourself, I think it is a great option to look at moving in with roommates or a friend. Not every situation is going to end well. Mine didn't. We are not friends anymore. It just wasn't really, I guess, what I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, it just didn't end up working out, but it was still a great way to move out. I think um, it's nice when you get to experience it with someone else. It's just nice if you can share that experience with someone, share, you know, the things you do around the house, the things you have to get sorted, you know, phone calls you have to make. If you can do it together, that is really nice. Um, but also keep in mind that it doesn't always work out. And it is very important to find someone that you feel like you can actually live with. Even if you're good friends, that doesn't mean you can live together. I'm moved into this apartment back in i think early october it was like september october of last year and that's when i like lived by myself for the first time feeling lonely when living by yourself when i had just done that i really really needed it because i really was just craving my alone time in my own space i feel like as i've been living here slowly you start to get used to living alone but it also can get lonely i mostly felt very lonely during the winter i get seasonal depression so i just wasn't really leaving my house luckily i did have blue i have a puppy blue he has been great for me to not feel as lonely so if that's something you would be open to, you know, having a pet, it doesn't have to be a dog, any pet. If you're feeling really lonely living by yourself, that can be a great way to kind of, you know, add some company into your household. And for me, it really helped, especially during the winter when I was feeling very depressed to get out of bed because I had to get out of bed for him. I had to take him out. I had to feed him. So if that's something you struggle with, I feel like a pet could be really nice because you have a reason to get up out of bed every morning. But it is very easy to get lonely if you don't keep up with your social uh, activities during the week and friends. Like definitely make sure that you still are seeing people. I feel like my lens is dirty, hold up. If you're not keeping up with your social life and you're like isolating a lot, it gets very, very lonely. So I would suggest definitely making sure that you keep up with that. Even if it's once a week, it was hard for me because Pretty much all my family lived outside of the city. So I was alone here like all the time. I was able to move my mom over here back in May. That has helped a lot with my loneliness. I guess it also depends on YouTube in the description. If not, you can look her up. She also has like she also has like a budget like Excel budget sheet and everything. Like saving money, all of that, it's not necessarily hard to do but it just depends on how much money you're making. Like I could that. How to cope on days when adult life is just too much. Listen to my body and do whatever I feel like I need in the moment. Sometimes that just means laying down and doing nothing. Sometimes it means going out on a walk or meeting up with my mom or having a talk with a friend. Or I also am in therapy. So I feel like that can help me kind of control any like downfalls. You know, you want to, keep up with your mental health and it's important to kind of know when things are getting too much before it gets there because it's harder to like get out of it for me personally so I really try to keep track of my own feelings and my thoughts and my mental health I feel like my hormones affect my mental health a lot during the month so I'm starting to pick up certain cues and realize when you know I'm starting to get really hormonal for instance and then I also just like to listen to my feeling and kind of do whatever my body feels like it needs you can't be productive and 
perfect every single day. And that's just important to realize and not forget. And if you have a day where it's just too much, that's okay. And obviously sometimes you're not gonna be able to just do whatever you feel like, but don't forget to take those days off. Keep yourself in check. You're just gonna continue to push through and push through even though you're feeling like shit or like something's tearing you down it's just gonna end up worse in the end sometimes you just need to maybe take a day off of work to recoup and recharge and that's okay i'm very privileged and blessed in my job i'm able to basically do whatever i want whenever i want and that for me personally works really well because my mental health is so up and down if i were to have a nine to five job i would be calling in sick so many times <laughs> They would hate me there. I would get fired right away. Anxiety about the future. People expect a lot from you. And even me, like I expect a lot from myself. And I feel like I can say the same for a lot of people watching right now. And it's just because we are, we're on social media a lot. And I'm part of it because I'm almost 23. And look at the things that I have right now, the job I have. It's not typical for a 22 year old to have that, but because we see it so much online, you almost start to kind of feel like you're behind maybe. So if you're my age and you are still in school living at home, don't think you're like behind. Don't have anxiety about, oh, I'm not growing fast enough. I'm not, you know, going as fast as this person because everyone has their own timeline in life. Go at your own pace. Try to live in the moment. This is something I have to remind myself every single day because I'm such a planner and like I always look at the future like what am I going to do in a year what am I going to do in a month what am I going to do next week I'm always looking ahead but the key is really to start living day by day you can obviously prepare yourself and work towards something but you can never exactly plan out what's going to happen so there's honestly no reason to worry about it because you don't have control and I know that's where anxiety comes from a lot my anxiety usually gets triggered a lot when I don't have control so again the future is like a top of that triggers my anxiety a lot. And I always have to remind myself that things are gonna happen the way they are. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in a year. All I can do is focus on today, work on my goals and enjoy what I have now. For me, it's like never enough. I always wanna work towards something new where I sometimes forget to like realize what I have now and really like appreciate it. A year ago, I dreamt of being here. And now that I'm here, it feels normal so i don't really see it as a big deal when this was literally what i was manifesting and dreaming of the last thing i want to talk about is prioritizing yourself and setting goals i feel like this is all right that's probably enough of her you know i don't want to i don't want to make it seem like how do i say this like i said i think she's trying you know i'll give her props but you can hear that she doesn't have it figured out you know she's kind of trying to like give advice but i don't know she's she's still a an adolescent in a lot of ways you know and maybe so am i right like and it's frustrating it's frustrating for all of us it's frustrating for you know people that are trying to make their way in the world as young adults i think it's frustrating for the generation ahead of us who you know think that they gave us all the tools we needed but in reality perhaps they didn't you know i think there's this is a multifaceted kind of issue no doubt but like i i genuinely think it's got a lot to do with the school system right and and how we are not well prepared 
12 years they have us in schools. Why we are not prepared after 12 years of so-called education? It's a, it's a glaring reminder that that system is broken, right? They don't teach us the important stuff. They teach us a bunch of bullshit that we're going to forget six months later anyways, right? But you don't learn how to, how to, you know, write a check or, you know, set up a bank account or apply for a loan or buy a car or do your taxes, you know, all this shit that like, you just have to figure it out. Like, why, why were we not taught these basic things? You know, it's terrible. But like I said, you know, good, good for her for at least trying. Um, she, she's getting there, you know, but like, I think it's kind of telling when she talks about, um, you know, her own mental health and like that, that feeling of not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. You know, I think that's, that's very common, you know, and it's because it's because we're not healthy, right? Our culture is not healthy. You know, people should be excited to go out and greet the day and attack life, right? Like, you know, the, the, the fact that we're not enjoying our lives is really not good. Now I'm speaking in generalities. Like I'm grateful. I've got a job I really enjoy, but even still there are days I wake up and I just, you know, wish I could lay in bed all day long and not do anything, but it's not a healthy kind of thought or feeling. And I, I, I sometimes wonder why I, why I feel that way when I enjoy what I do. Right. I think a lot of times people just, we get overwhelmed. It's like the task list keeps growing and, and growing until it feels insurmountable. You know, again, I think it's like we weren't necessarily given the skills necessary to, to be effective, to be adults, to be competent. And you know, the extreme example, okay, that I'm going to bring to you here. <sighs> this is a weird one, but I think we all know the type. They're called Disney adults, okay? And this is a term used to refer to folks who, as grown adults, are still completely and totally obsessed with Disney. And... You know, it's kind of this, uh, like, Pinocchio, or no, not Pinocchio, but um, the Peter Pan effect, right? Forever young, like, wanting to stay a child because childhood is more fun, right? Adulting isn't always fun. See, I hate that I'm even using the term, but you you know what I'm talking about. Like, and this guy, I'll, I'll say, is a little bit obnoxious. You know, he's kind of funny, but kind of obnoxious. And uh, so just fair warning, I'm going to play like the first few minutes of this and then I'm going to jump to the end. Um, yeah, I think he's hitting on something kind of kind of important here. I don't care for his style, but so be it. Here we go. I'm going to jump just a little bit here. Okay. 
Mickey Mouse ears. I'm about to get controversial. Not really. I, that's, that's not what this video is going to be. I just kind of wanted to make that Mickey Mouse ears joke. So we all know Disney, right? The multi-billion dollar entertainment company started by a man named Walt Disney in the 1920s that's responsible for some of the most popular iconic movies of all time. They own Pixar and Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm and 21st Century Fox and pretty much everything else. That Disney. Disney films actually played a huge role in my childhood and I'm sure they played a huge role in yours as well. I had an extensive VHS collection of all the old animated Disney movies. And I would watch Fox and the Hound like every other day, dude. Cried every time. And I also went to Disney World in Florida when I was three years old. And I don't remember a second of it. I don't remember anything of it at all because I was three years old. So it's a good thing my parents spent all that money. <laughs> and I'll admit it, okay? Disney knows how to make a good movie. Have you seen Minutemen? It's a goddamn masterpiece, okay? That film should be projected on a wall in the Louvre. All right, I Louvre it. And since people hold these Disney movies so close to their hearts. Some people really go all out with their admiration for uh, the Walt Disney Company well into their adulthood. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Unfortunately, the only definition I could find for Disney adults uh, was on Urban Dictionary, so apologies in advance. So according to Urban Dictionary, a Disney adult is a millennial adult with or without kids that can't stop talking about Disney including the movies and the parks. Even if they do have kids, they're still way more obsessed with it than their kids ever would be. They probably engage in casual Disney bounding, which we'll talk about later, and visit the theme parks at least once a year. They're obsessed with everything Disney and probably have a Mickey Mouse bumper sticker and or tattoo. One of the most terrifyingly intense people you'll ever encounter. Okay, now that's a problem with Urban Dictionary. No one Okay, so I needed a way to structure all the things that I wanted to talk about in this video. So uh, I made this Disney adult iceberg. If you aren't familiar with the iceberg format, it's like basic level stuff, like surface level stuff at the top, right? The further you go down, the more extreme it gets. Fucking everybody's doing kickflips at the bottom. It's mm, fucking extreme. So we'll start at the top, you know, very basic Disney adult stuff. And then we'll go all the way to the bottom and we'll see how much we can take. So the first one I put, uh, watch Disney movies growing up and watches the occasional Pixar film. I feel like this is like very like base level of being an adult who enjoys Disney. I think I would put myself in this category because I, you know, I, I like the Disney movies and I watch the occasional new Pixar film. I've also seen every single MCU movie and Marvel's owned by Disney. So I guess I'm a fucking Disney adult in that sense. Dang, comic book nerds. Sorry. You're Disney adults, unless you like DC. Maybe that stands for Disney comics, who knows? Okay, so next level deeper, we got sees every single Disney movie, goes to the park every few years, has a pair of Mickey Mouse ears, but doesn't wear them. I think this is like the natural progression. You know, this person is on like the outskirts of becoming a Disney adult, but never like actually made the commitment. I just picture them like behind a chain link fence being like, that should be me. And uh, one level deeper, now we're starting to get into like muddy waters, I guess you could say. For this next level, I put goes to the park as much as possible, has at least one Disney themed tattoo, might even have a Disney Instagram account. And I'd say this is the cutoff of like casual Disney fan and like full on Disney adult. And we're only at the halfway point. So that's, <laughs> I should fucking tell you something right there. And I feel like this level of the iceberg makes up the majority. They either have the fucking Disney castle outline, Tinkerbell, or the, the Mickey Mouse logo tattooed. For sure, one of those. I mean, if you got these tattoos, no shade or anything. Well, actually, no, there might be shading on the tattoo, but no tea. How about that? Unless you got the teapot tattoo from Beauty and the Beast. No offense. I'm in absolutely 
zero position to be judging anybody's tattoos. But yeah, maybe this person also has a Disney-themed Instagram account, like a side one maybe, or maybe just post Disney-themed stuff on their on their main Instagram account. Photos in front of the castle, all that shit. All right, now we're in the bottom half. This is where it starts to get a little spicy. And I'll be spending more time on these levels going forward because there's just more I have to cover within them. So this next level, I labeled it Die Hard Disney Fan. Cosplays in their spare time and Disney bounds at the parks has a cat named Simba for sure. So I think this level is like this the exaggerated, like stereotypical person that you would picture in your head when someone says Disney adult. Like dudes in this category totally take selfies like this. I also imagine people in this level also want to be cast members at Disney. And how the fuck have we not talked about this yet? Let's talk about this yet. Employees at Disney parks are called cast members. Ooh. Ooh, from Monsters, Inc. Bro, I fucking hate when companies do shit like that. They give you the special title to make you seem like you're super important, but they literally do not give a fuck about you at all. Yeah, maybe I am projecting because I used to work at Starbucks and they called us partners, uh? which is just so goddamn disrespectful. Am I fighting crime at work? No, I'm getting bullied by a tween. I'm an employee. Literally, you're just a number to them. <laughs> Dude, I literally had a partner number when I worked at Starbucks. Was- All right, so I'm going to pause there for a moment. You know, once again, this guy, you know, the style of videos, it's not really my cup of tea. Um, you know, I'm not trying to make a Disney pun like him, but I guess one just slipped out there. Uh, but he he's hitting on something that I that I think is is good to talk about. You know, it's kind of what I started with here. Like what we call each other matters. You know, he's talking about cast members being, you know, Disney employees and and partners right at Starbucks. But they're just the grunts. They're they're not as special as the title makes them sound. You know, and I bring this Disney thing up because. Frankly. The impact of Disney on young people's psyche, especially here in the United States, is probably dramatically underestimated, right? We all grew up with these movies. And what's the impact of of constant reinforcement of the idea of like, the princess and Prince Charming and happily ever after. And like, you know, everybody's a special character. Everybody's, you know, I don't know, man. It just seems to me that like, this might have something to do with both young men feeling disillusioned because they're not Prince Charming and young women saying you know what the fuck am i not a princess where where's my happily ever after right and like the true nature of existence is never really shown in these movies it's always you know like i said happily ever after and like i i think it does something to kids where it makes makes their expectations you know, conflated, right? And then when they get to adulthood, they're disappointed with the truth of the matter, right? They don't like the world that they live in. They want to live in the fantasy that they grew up watching. And some of them, 
take it to the extreme of, of being completely obsessed with Disney and with the characters and with the experience. And, you know, I'll give Disney credit. They, they're, they're good storytellers, you know, good animators. I've enjoyed many of those movies, right? And the park, you know, it's a prime example of like a fully immersive experience. You know, the happiest place on earth, right? Where, where dreams can be lived out in real life. You know, it's, it's no wonder some people get addicted to the feeling. You know, they get to feel like the princess or the prince or, you know, the hero just by paying the admission fees, right? So I'm going to let this guy talk some more. It was like 171219 or something because I was like the 170,000th person that got a job there. But yeah, for sure, Starbucks. I'm special. Sorry. Back to the iceberg. That was my impression of the Titanic. Let's get back to the thing. Okay, so this next level is where I start to feel a little odd about Disney adults. All the other stuff, it's fine, whatever. But these next two levels are just very weird. To me, Disney wedding and honeymoon spends every anniversary at the park but doesn't have any kids. I'm sorry, dude. I know everyone has their taste, but I just think spending 25 grand to get married in front of the Tower of Terror it's a little weird. And that's just the venue rental fee, by the way. That's gonna It's going to be way more. I just think if you have that kind of money to do a huge wedding at Disney, simply don't do a huge wedding at Disney, right? <laughs> go somewhere beautiful. Don't go to Orlando. What are you doing? Again, people can do whatever they want with their money and they can do whatever the hell they want on their wedding day. Personally, I wouldn't want to get married in the same place some little brat pissed his fucking sweatpants and puked up a bunch of cotton candy only hours earlier. Don't don't get married at a place where cargo shorts are the main garment of choice. How about that? Dude, it would also suck way more if you got divorced after a Disney wedding, bro. You wouldn't even be able to watch a Star Wars movie without being reminded of your ex-wife. Anakin, may the force be with you. Divorce? And also, dude, a Disney honeymoon seems like a nightmare to me. Honeymoon is supposed to be like nice and relaxing and and straight up, they're just a, it's just a sex holiday, right? That's what honeymoons are. Place you go and you, you you bone, right? But I don't think there's anything that makes you want to have sex less than being surrounded by a bunch of screaming, crying children all day. Oh, so that's what'll happen if we Okay, yeah, let's let's get separate rooms. But folks, that's not even the worst of it. There is one final level to this. Disney adult iceberg. This is the deepest it goes to my knowledge. And uh, to me, this is the weirdest thing a Disney adult can do. Completely consumed by Disney. They live on Disney property. They go to the park every single day. They live to serve their merciless God, Mickey Mouse. So this is actually what made me want to talk about Disney adults in a video because I found some on YouTube that was just so fucking crazy to me that I had to share it with people if you didn't know about it. There is a neighborhood called Golden Oak that is described as an upscale residential community within the Walt Disney World Resort in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. So yeah, if you love Disney, what's better than living right beside the park? Living inside the park. This is Golden Oak, an Imagineer design community of homes built by Disney within the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. Is that not 
fucking crazy to you? Why would you do that? It's just like the point I made when I was talking about the wedding. These homes are like in the millions. They're from like 2 million to like 10 million. And if you have that sort of money to buy a house, why the fuck would you get one inside of an amusement park? You goofball. The worst thing about it, dude, the houses aren't even that nice. Cause you know why? They're all fucking Disney themed. Of course. I found one YouTube channel that they're like moving into this neighborhood and they're kind of like vlogging their whole process. Uh, and they made a video about when they were like touring different houses. So let's take a look at some clips from that video. So we were able to film the outside and every single house has these gold plaques that say like the family's name on them and they're all custom made when the family moves in. And I just, I feel like all of the details like that are what make that neighborhood. <laughs> Seems like a cult, okay. In the house though, there was all these touches from, you know, the Mickey fountain outside and all of the Mickey details in the railing and the chandeliers that were shaped like fireworks. Bro, that's so ugly. I'm sorry, that's hideous. Could you imagine just cut to the bathroom and she was like, yeah, there's the, there's the Mickey Mouse bidet. It's actually just a man in a Mickey Mouse outfit. He's kind of just, just spits water in your asshole. <laughs> but don't worry, don't worry. He's a cast member. Like these houses are just like the most sad mom on Pinterest houses you could possibly find. It's just all white walls, white floors, snow white, white ceilings. Like everything is just white. And I'm going to take a guess and say that the neighborhood is as well. Let's keep going. These houses are like next level, but not like Disney paraphernalia and Disney like kind of threw up on it. Like classy Disney. <laughs> Yeah, that's my, okay, that's my fucking favorite shot in the whole video. Yeah, it's not like in your face or anything. It's classy. It's classy Disney. It's fucking Woody on your ceiling. Classy. <laughs> classy Disney. There was an elevator and the, the glass at the back of the elevator was all of the Beauty and the Beast stained glass theme. It was, it was exceptionally gorgeous. I honestly, like, I can't fucking believe this. Like, this seems like, it seems like a bit. Like, they're doing a weird, like, sketch. Like, a really, like, high-level satirical, like, commentary on, like, capitalism and consumerism but it's real man it's fucking real life god i hope you guys are as weirded out as i am or i'm gonna feel like an asshole this is just way overboard to me like i said earlier if there was a legend of zelda theme park i'd go there all the fucking time but if my house if this house was zelda themed i wouldn't like zelda anymore but anyways the girl making this video she's like commentating throughout the whole thing you know she's like talking about the house and everything she saw and stuff and she seems nice right but there's this one clip at the end, and I think it like totally describes the type of person who would want to move into Golden Oak. I wanted to share that with you guys. If you ever have a big, big goal that you want to achieve, go freaking check it out. Like go look at it in person. Like if you want to, I don't know, move to Hawaii, go visit Hawaii, like go see it. It'll make the dream that much more real. And that's what I told Andre. Oh, oh, the doy. Oof, it's that easy, huh? I never really thought of it like that. You know, I've always, I've always thought it was, it'd be cool to sort of fly around, you know, be able to fly, take to the skies, if you will. Maybe I should just jump off of my roof, start flapping my arms and see what happens. I don't want to make an assumption about this person, but like, I don't know, dude, when you hear people say shit like that, you know they're just so far removed from the real world. People can't just go to Hawaii, man. People also can't just drop $10 million on a house inside of a theme park. I can, can't believe that's a sentence I just said. I don't know, dude. I just think the whole concept of living inside a gated community inside of a theme park that was created by Walt Disney, uh, it's just really scary to me, and I don't like it. Like, could you imagine living in a fucking Spike TV house? Can you fart so hard your balls explode? Okay, never mind. That'd be tight. But the Disney house in the Disney park it's too far for me. The House of Mouse was a show, not a suggestion. But you know what? I think we've taken a pretty good look at all the, the different levels of 
Disney adults, but this is just from my perspective, you know, an outsider looking in. You know, if I'm going to truly understand Disney adults, I need to talk to one face to face. So let's go do that. Come on. Come on. Live, it's Saturday night, or maybe maybe not. There's a good chance you're watching this on literally any other night of the week, or it could be during the day. I don't know. Starring Curtis Connor. This is the talk show where we learn all things Disney adult. It's Disney Ah Nice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Disney Ah Nice. No affiliation with Disney on Ice. I'll be honest, uh, this is just a crazy coincidence, okay? For for legal reasons, I will say I had no idea that a name existed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this, of course, is a show where uh, we sit down, we talk to a, a real-life Disney adult and find out what they're all about, you know? Because I could blab about it all day, but, you know, I think it's better if we hear it from the horse's mouth. That's right. Give it up. For the give it up, everyone, for the horse from Tangled. Um, yeah, I, I'm not the horse from Tangled. I, I'm Isaac. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Isaac. Sorry, folks. That's uh, <laughs> that's next week's episode. Well, you'll have to tune in for that. Studio <laughs> audience, give it up for Isaac. Give it up. Wow. You know, they're expecting the horse, but this is even better. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell I'm wearing my uh, I'm wearing a Camp Rock T-shirt to oh, celebrate yeah. Disney. Oh, much respect. Demi Lovato's big break in the decom world. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess really quick, if you um, for the people at home who, don't, who aren't familiar uh, with you, or what you do, or do you want to give like a brief uh, description of what of what you're all about, I suppose? Sure. So over the last five years or so, I've been making videos about Disney. I started off making videos about Star Wars, and slowly over time, I realized there was a big opportunity. There wasn't a lot of people talking about Disney feature animation and Pixar, and now I talk about DreamWorks as well. And so I break down different characters mm -hmm. and theories and different plot holes to try to uh, appreciate and spread the magic of Disney as, as much as I can through my content. You nailed it. <laughs> What is it about Disney uh, in particular that kind of keeps, you know, making you come back? You know, what, what sort of attract keeps you attracted to, uh, well, not attracted to, you know, that's the wrong word. What, <laughs> what keeps you going back to Disney? I think the thing about Disney for me is that it was something that I always grew up with. And I've kind of grown to appreciate it more as I've gotten older. Whereas when I was mm -hmm. young, I appreciated the movies and the theme parks mainly just because of I, I just liked all of the characters and how bright it was and exciting the stories became, especially at the 90s with all the dark villains. And with the theme parks, it was always so fun with all of the rides and it was felt so immersive. And now that I'm an adult, I can appreciate them more because I get to see the artistry behind it all. And I get to understand where that's coming from and how it can be able to resonate with people all around the world. I actually found out about you through a video that you made. Um, it was sort of in response to a podcast by Wisecrack. They did an episode about, uh, they were talking about Disney adults. And their take was, it's, I, I assume it's like a comedy podcast, but I, I, it's the take seemed pretty lazy to me. It was just like, they're just idiots. They need to grow up. You know, they need to be sad like I am. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Do you, do you kind of want to go like briefly 
over like the their main points and like what you had to say against them? Their focus around the idea that Disney adults were kind of this weird thing that was kind of gross. This these people right. that kind of just I mean, mainly focused on the parks specifically was just that mm-hmm. why are these young people coming to the parks and taking away experiences from younger people? I don't know. Like if I if I was a parent, let's say, and I'm taking my kids to Disney and we had to wait to get on a ride because a bunch of guys, 37 year olds are all like getting emotional to get on the teacups or whatever. I'm just a little pissed. I'm like, hey, you had your shot at childhood. Get out of the way right now. And they just kind of used a lot of language that made it seem like it was something like really harmful to society or was a complete waste of time right. or was kind of like a dangerous <laughs> individual type of individual that would engage with disney as an adult it kind of riled me up and so i made like an hour-long response to their their discussion about it pretty much explaining that it seems like yeah that it was a a bad take that it they went with a really dark extreme of of examining it yeah it was they like painted disney adults out to be these like ghouls (laughs) ghouls <laughs> like weird people you should be like afraid of you don't seem like a dangerous person to me um and that's a compliment you seem like a very sweet person oh thank you thank you piggybacking <laughs> off of that a little bit in sort of disney adults and like disney fandom do you think some people take it a little too far when if have you ever seen like a disney fan and you're like whoa okay <laughs> hold up you know or have you always just been like that's that's all good you know the ways that i'm like i don't necessarily know if i would want to do that are just kind of things that I just wouldn't do in general. For right. example, like people get tattoos of like Disney characters on themselves. And I'm like, oh, that's something I'm not interested in. But like, I i don't have any tattoos. Right. I don't really plan on getting tattoos. So those types of lines are things that I don't necessarily see as like a societal issue or something that's a big deal. Yeah, my I didn't really have an issue with too much of it. But once I found out about uh, Golden Oak... Mm. that really weirded me out for some reason <laughs> and i'm but everything but it's like same thing you know if it if they're happy sure you know yeah and that's just kind of this weird thing like the history of golden oaks is this it's this thing where like walt disney wanted to make a community in walt disney world that was his yeah. that was his big idea for his florida project was to actually build an experimental community where he could have full control over it and so then it just kind of like became this project that disney eventually did where they made it on property but then yeah it's kind of like sanctioned off because disney still wants full control over their property and it's gets weird when there's actually people living there so it's the yeah it's just this kind of i i can understand that <laughs> that point <laughs> Okay, as we're as we're wrapping up, I think what's uh what's one thing that you would want people to learn uh from my video? Like what's one like common misconception that people have towards Disney adults that you would uh want to see uh people change their mind about? I think the thing that I would want people to be able to take away about Disney adults is just the idea that like appreciating the art that's come out of Disney, whether it be the theme parks or the animated movies or the other properties like Marvel or Star Wars, is just that it's a passion that people have just like any other. I don't think it's wildly different from people going to experience a closed off, all-inclusive resort. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's just a lot of parallels. I mean, even the idea of 
going to a sports game and getting the jersey and getting excited about what you're about to see right. and maybe even having season passes it feels very in line with someone who wears the ears or collects pins or does something like that and wants to go to the theme parks because they live near them or wants to go because it's a place that means a lot to them in a similar way that people get excited about other things that they care about. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a great point. People literally start riots in the street when their sports team loses. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's ever been a riot started because of like Snow White. <laughs> no, I don't think that's ever happened. No. <laughs> okay, well, that wraps up the first uh, episode of Disney on Ice. Again, no affiliation with Disney on Ice. For legal reasons, I feel like I need to say that. All right. So that was a little bit long. I know. But I think you see the connection here, right? Perpetual adolescence. Adult children. You know, this is something that is not only allowed, but halfway encouraged it's why i it's why i take such offense when i hear you know like just for example my dad you know he tries to be funny and uh we were at church service on christmas eve at my sister's church and they called up all the kiddos to the stage so they all gathered around on the stage to listen to the Christmas story get read, kind of like story time style, right? And my dad, trying to be funny, basically tapped me on the shoulder, said, you know, run on up there. And I gave him a look that showed I didn't find it very funny. And I talked to him about it later. I was like, you know, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 30. That's not very funny to me. Like, I know you think I'm your kid, but no, I'm your son. I'm not your child. I am your offspring, your adult offspring. And that's, it's kind of disrespectful, right? To, to treat someone like a child when they aren't. And he could understand that after we talked about it. You know, I think he probably thought, you know, oh, geez, you know, quit being so defensive or sensitive or whatever. Like it was just a joke, but this is my point. You know, the words matter. What we call each other matters. You know, these Disney adults, right? They are the true adult children. There's a lot of different flavors of adult children. You know, I actually think the point that the, the guy brought up about, you know, is it really any different than people being obsessed with, you know, their favorite sports team or whatever? Um, and no, it's really not that different. You know, being a fanatic of any kind, you know, worshiping some, some corporation or some sports ball team or, you know, some celebrity, like it, it's not a very emotionally mature thing. Now I get it. Like people love sports, right? And there's varying degrees of fandom, but some people take it way too far. You know, I think it can be a sign of emotional immaturity. And I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect here, guys. Like, you know, I, I will readily admit that I think it, it has been hard for me to become an adult, which is why I'm so kind of adamant of being treated as one. Because if, 
if you allow people to treat you like a child, then you basically are a child, right? You know, adults deserve respect. Of course, you know, so do children, but it's a different kind of thing, right? And like I said, I think this is basically cultural and it sucks. You know, I think people handle shit differently. Um, but I think this kind of issue is a major one that causes major turmoil in families. And I've got a couple of examples here. You know, I wanted to bring up this concept of estrangement. Okay. When someone is estranged from their family, right? Meaning they have cut off communication. I bring it up because I feel as though I sort of kind of understand the perspective of a child who, I, I, here I go, the perspective of, say, an adult offspring of cutting ties from their family almost as a survival instinct, you know, and and how... It may or may not be the parent's fault. You know, oftentimes we are our, our parents' greatest critics, right? As their offspring, we we kind of see we see it all, good and bad, right? And this thing of estrangement, from what I'd kind of discovered in my in my little bit of research. Oftentimes the parent doesn't understand, you know, they, they say, what did we do wrong? You know, we, we tried our best. We had a stable household. We, you know, we loved our, our children and now they don't want anything to do with us. And it's a sad thing. It's really sad. And I understand how hurtful that would be. Right. You know, there have been times where I have expressed to my folks that I need a certain amount of space. You know, I love my family very much, um, but there's been some tension for different reasons. And at different times, I, for my own well-being, decided I needed to just be on my own, you know, needed to find my own way without sort of, <clears throat> I don't know, being accountable or being, um, that's not the right word, but without any obligation of like, of being available to anyone else, right? As an adult, I get to choose who I spend my time with, who I talk to. And I think it's a hard thing to explain when you're not saying I want to be fully estranged forever. But when you say, you know, sometimes I just don't want to call you. I don't want to talk to you. You know, it's not. Sometimes I don't want to talk to anybody, but I think the relationship between parents and their offspring is such a complex relationship. And it can be very difficult to separate, you know, the emotion out of the discussion, right? But me as a young man, I very much needed to kind of fall off the map, right? For different periods of time. You know, I found it very liberating to, you know, travel without having to report, you know, 
you know, I was, I was probably 20 years old, taking, taking a road trip. And my mom, you know, asked, you know, can you call us and let us know, like when you stop each night, I said, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And she was kind of taken aback by it, but I said that defeats the entire purpose. You know, my style of travel is kind of leaf on the wind. I, you know, I usually have a destination in mind or, you know, a friend I'm going to go see, but I like to, I like to not know necessarily where I'm going to lay my head every night. You know, I don't plan them out like that. I like a little spontaneity in my life and I like a little solitude. You know, and as a young man, I did not feel like it was appropriate any longer to have my folks keeping tabs. And I don't think they liked that much, but they respected it. And, and I was grateful, right? You know, I think uh, oftentimes the estrangement comes when those sort of requests are not respected. You know, when, when the kid says, hey, I'm going to disappear. You know, I'll be fine. Don't worry about me, but I'm going to, I'm going to be traveling for the next month and a half. And, and if you don't hear from me the whole time, don't take it personally, you know, like I'm traveling for me and, and calling home to mom to, to tell her everything's normal is, you know, it's not, it's not one of my priorities, especially when, you know, a lot of times I'm traveling in pretty remote areas. It's like, if we set up the the expectation that I'll report in every day, you know, the day that I have no cell service or, you know, whatever, are you going to assume all the all, uh, automatically that I'm, you know, dead in a ditch? You know, let's not have that expectation. I'll talk to you when I get home. You know, I'll come see you then. And I think part of this too is like the cell phone, the influence of the cell phone. Whereas before, you know, I've said many times, I'm, I'm almost envious of, of the days when you had to write letters, right? You know, not only before the cell phone, but before the telephone at all, right? Where, you know, it was not uncommon where offspring would leave home to find work and would write home every so often. And I think that that's almost healthier. That degree of, of separation, you know, families that stay together, that's a beautiful thing. Families that don't kind of go different directions, don't settle in, you know, different places, but stick together in, in one area, you know, that's a good thing, but it's not for everybody. You know, and this idea of like being free to live your own life without feeling like somebody owns you, right? You know, in a sense, when when we are children, our parents do sort of own us. They're fully responsible for us. But after a certain amount of time and maturing, I think it'd be foolish of them to still feel that way, right? You know, every person has the right to live whatever life they choose. And I hope I hope you're getting what I'm laying down here, but I'm going to play this next clip and it it's kind of sad, okay? These are two parents kind of discussing 
the impact of estrangement on their personal sort of emotional well-being. Um, just one moment. Let me get it lined up. And, you know, the tone of this conversation I found to be very much one of not understanding, you know, sort of assuming that assuming that they had nothing to do with their child's decision, that it was pure sort of selfishness on the child's part. And it, it kind of lacks, I think, empathy for what the, the child goes through before making that decision. So I'm going to start with this sort of the parent's perspective, and then I've got a offspring perspective. Um, so here we go. Oh, hold on. Here we go. I have a guest with me. Um, her name is Amy Palmer. She's the founder of PEAC or Parents of Estranged Adult Children. Um, we'll share that website link with you um, as well. So let me uh, get Amy on. Hi there, Amy. How are you doing today? I'm great. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming. You know, I've I've said for a long time doing the podcast that I I like to have other people involved just because uh, then it's not just me. You know, it's mm -hmm. good to hear different perspectives and different experiences and, you know, help other people to be able to cope in some way. What whatever you have might just resonate with just the right person and you know as i'm sure you've experienced um with your organization so um, i know we'll get into it a little bit more later but tell us a little about your organization well um it's peace and it is peace without an e and that is parents of estranged adult children um i've been going since about 2017 when my uh then 18 year old daughter estranged um from me for the first time and uh i was just devastated as it can be so consuming and normally an upbeat outgoing person I found myself becoming depressed and isolating myself and I thought I need help and um, I started looking for a support group and uh, there wasn't one so um, at least uh, not that I found um, in my area um, this is of course pre-COVID so you know I was looking for something in person and uh I just decided, well, um, I guess I'm going to start one. So I really have no um, professional training. I was a uh, broadcast journalism major and uh, marketing in college. And so um, I just thought, well, I, I experienced this. I'm going to learn and research and do as much as I can and hope to um, help others along the way as I started to heal myself. So that's, uh, that's peace in a nutshell. Yeah. And that, that's kind of where I was too. You know, I, I was nearing the end of my actual estrangement with my son. And, um, I just saw because of the support group that I'm in on Facebook, um, that I'm in one of the administrators and I saw all these people across different countries, different walks of life, different religious beliefs, political beliefs, everything. I mean, just all over the place. And 
I thought, my goodness, if we can just if we can just help some people not go through some of the stuff, or at least I guess we can't keep them from going through it, but maybe um, knowing they're not alone is a huge thing. It was for me. Um, and then maybe help them find some of the, the coping skills that we've all gone through that that might make it not quite as unbearable for, for them. So that yeah, was my... I think it's... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you bring up a really good point is just so many people over and over again that they thought they were the only one. There's so much shame in estrangement. You, oh my you think, you know, what kind of parent am I, you know, that my child doesn't want to have anything to do with me and people judge you. They just do. And so um, we have a tendency of not to talk about it. And um, for me, yeah. I just wanted to get the word out there. Um, it's a silent epidemic. I, as you talked about, there's, it's in every culture, it's in every country, it's in every income bracket, um, ethnicity, everything. It's um, just all over. And it's an epidemic, although a silent one, because they can't get the numbers on it because so many people are filled with shame and they don't yeah. want to come out and, and say it. But I'm, well, it's I'm guessing... Again, it's a guess, but almost everybody in their circle of of influence knows somebody who's estranged, but they don't know it because they won't tell. Right. Well, it, it's kind of funny um, on the the podcast when you're setting up to do a podcast. You you know, there's a lot of things you have to do. It's pretty easy to do, um, but there's a few things to do. Like you know, you want to choose some music. So I I found some music that I really liked and. Um, there's, there's free places you can get it where you know, there's a whole bunch of different stuff. So I found this really cool, um, music that it, it just, it, I was drawn to it and I started, uh, you know, I, I, I emailed the person who, um, who wrote the music. I found it on YouTube or actually I found it on a, a different site, but I emailed him. And I'm like, hey, listen, this is this is my deal. I'm doing this podcast. I am not monetizing it at this point. I'm just trying to help people out there get some help and and, and you know explain the estrangement and what I went through and whatever. Would you be okay with me using your music? Because I want to make sure, you know, I have permission and and whatever. And that way if I do at some point um monetize it then i can address that you know uh, at that point if he would like royalties or whatever it wasn't a day or two that went by i think the same day and i believe the gentleman is german um if i remember correctly so he he sent me an email back he said he he's perfectly fine with that as a matter of fact he had been estranged from his son they were now okay and and talking and he was actually there I think when I when he wrote me the email um, they were having a, a day you know but what out of all of the music that I could have chosen out there how ironic not necessarily good ironic but is it that the person had gone through it so that just what you're saying it just it's it's an epidemic so mm -hmm. sometimes it's worse than others for people sometimes like in our group 
sometimes people, the kids are just being jerks. You know, they're mad at them for whatever reason. It's been a few days or a week and they're not speaking to them. That's, you know, a little different than what our group is about. So it's like, um, but there's so many different forms, I guess it can take and so many different nuances that, um, that everybody's just going through it a little bit differently. So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely. For sure. Uh, there's a lot of things that are different, but there's a lot of commonalities as well. For sure. And the shame you mentioned is absolute because I was actually talking to a coworker recently um, and, you know, expressing some of my um, issues that are going on and, well, you just have to, and she has no idea, you know, you just have to, put yourself there. You just have to, you know, force it or whatever. And I'm like, mm, yeah, you, I hear you, but you just don't understand unless you've been through it. I just don't think you can understand because why would this happen? Why would your child do this? You know, um, and there doesn't ever seem to be, there's certainly not one answer. There's a multitude of them. So for sure. You're absolutely right. The pain of estrangement is like no other and you cannot understand it unless you've been through it. And um, I had yeah. one lady in my very first um, group, uh, peace group that we had back in 2017. She had lost a child in estrangement and then also a child in death. And she said mm -hmm. estrangement was much more difficult for her. There wasn't any casseroles. There wasn't any finality in it. Yeah. And there was no choice in it um, yeah. for um so anyway, it, yeah, it's it's a very very difficult situation, and that's why the support groups and what you're doing, and myself, and all um, there's lots of others like us out there, yeah. trying to get the word out to educate people and to um, tell them that they're not alone and uh, those feelings and that we're all going through them different but same. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, actually, it's funny you said that because there's several people in our Facebook support group that have lost um the same way they've they've lost a son or daughter in estrangement and then some of them don't have multiple children but then at in during the estrangement they died so they still have they really don't have that closure you know and they they have said it's it's difficult for someone who hasn't gone through that to say it but although i've thought it you know which which is worse it, i think it would almost it would almost be worse for the them for you to know they're still there, but they're just not speaking to you, you know? Right. So, um, but yeah. Um, well, I'd like to talk about your, your mission in, you know, a little bit more detail in a few minutes. Um, what about you though? Um, you want to tell us a little about your story and, and what happened? Sure. Um, my daughter was 18 years old and she was still a senior in high school at the time, but because she was 18, there was not really anything we could do. We just, uh, she basically uh, had met a boy, a young man, and uh, that um, started it and we didn't know him well. He did not know us. And um, she basically just one day disappeared. We did not know where she was for about six months of time. And we you know, went to the police and of course they were no help. We went to um, friends and she um, 
pretty much cut off contact with absolutely everyone except for this young man and his family. Um, we went to the family, um, his parents for help, and they uh, threatened police on us to, you know, we just went to talk to find out more about our daughter. And um, we had references. We had people who were um, friends who we've known for, you know, 15, 20 years, vouch for our character, trying to get help from, um, from them to find out where our daughter was, but they refused to help us. And wow. so, um, yeah, and that was um, started my, my journey with peace to start that to get help and support and educate myself. Um, our daughter did come back um, after being gone for about a year. And um, she came back and was with us for about two years. And that's the another thing, if they estrange once, the probability of them estranging again is high. And um, unbeknownst to us, she uh, got back together with this boy and um, she estranged again. There was never any fighting or there wasn't a disagreement. I mean, there was nothing right. for us. The only thing I could say if there was a, a warning in my situation was that my daughter and I were very close. Um, we homeschooled. Um, we spent a lot of time together and we enjoyed the same things. And she started to pull away from me. She wouldn't, you know. I'd say, do you want to watch a movie? Do you want to go for a hike or whatever? And she would start refusing. So she was pulling away from me. I guess in hindsight, when I look back, that would probably have been a sign. But um, okay. she's been estranged from us now um, for about two and a half years. And again, everybody, not just my husband and I, um, yeah. which is her dad um, and her brother, but everyone. She's very close to her grandparents wow. and her cousins. And she sees no one um, except for this young man that she's with. Yeah, my my son did a similar thing um as far as everyone goes. Um we we asked when this first started, we're like, listen, I don't want whatever's going on with us, I don't want it to affect you and your sisters. Please, please, please don't don't do that. Um yeah. we're fine. I, I just don't want you guys to lose it because I was never close with my siblings growing up. My wife wasn't either, you know, not really. We're, we're both the babies and they were much older and, you know, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So we just didn't want them to do that, but he did. And it caused, caused a lot of issues. Um, and um, it, it was just, uh, it, it was very difficult. So, um, so I, I hear that. Um, and then like, like I said, we, well, we're not technically, we're not estranged with no contact, I guess I should say. Um, things are strained because mm -hmm. of different beliefs and certain things. And it's like, I can feel that. I definitely feel that pulling away now, you know, but I, we do have a granddaughter and I, and we got very, very close to her after we, um, came back together and I, I'm, I hope anyway, they wouldn't do that at least for her sake, but who knows, you know, who knows? It's just, it's, it's sad. Um, and well, that's one of the really difficult pieces is um, for siblings. Um, yeah. My children are 12 months apart. I also have a son. They were very close. So it's, it's, painful, not only for parents, but other family members yeah. as well. And then you bring up grandchildren. I mean, that puts a oh. whole other level to it. And I've got several 
uh, parents in my group that, um, you know, don't get to see their grandchildren. And one even had their grandson who she was very close with say, Nana, why did you quit me? Um, you know, how painful is that? So that just adds a whole nother layer to it. Um, in my case, I don't, uh, my daughter does not have children at this point, but, um, that I think just is, is painful beyond words to not be able to have access to grandchildren. It is. And when ours first started, she was uh, one and a half, two. So she was still very, very, she's just a toddler. And we weren't terribly close then, but it was like when the estrangement started, you know, you'd be out, be out to dinner. You'd see seemingly what uh, grandparent and grandchild together, yeah. and it would be like, oh, you know, right? Like the kids like to say, right in the feels, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I had a bit of a difficult time with that myself, but um, understandably so. Now I think we've covered it, but so before this happened to you, had you heard of? estrangement like this? Absolutely not. I knew nothing about it. Like as far, I shouldn't say that. Let me backtrack. I didn't know anything on a um, clinical um, definition of of estrangement. However, um, my uh, husband's nephew has not seen his parents for a very long time. Um, But I didn't understand that to be estrangement. I didn't know it um, other than that. You, you know, just and they I, weren't I, close. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't either. I mean, however, then going back, one of my episodes of the podcast, someone recommended to me to talk about generational estrangement. And when I looked back at my family, it's riddled with different forms of estrangement. I was estranged from my father. I did not know him since the time I was, I was just telling somebody this earlier, four or five years old. And then he passed away when I was like 17 or 18. Mm. Never saw him after, you know, after he initially left. So my, my sister had issues with, you know, one of her kids, um, you know, just all throughout. Um, I just didn't recognize it in that way. Like Mm -hmm. you said, I didn't, just thought we weren't very a very close family we weren't norman rockwell you know kind of family so um and you already said um that you and you and your husband her father were obviously together at the time so um did they did she did she have any issues with dad or well interesting you should say that i mean we had a, a really pretty good family. Um, uh, my husband, and I've been married for 25 years. Um, awesome. you know, he worked, I stayed home. Um, you know, we ate dinner together every night. We went to church on Sunday. We, you know, our kids were involved in things. Um, so we had friends, we had family close by. Um, the only caveat, I guess I would say we, uh, have a son, um, who I said was 12 months younger. He is, uh, disabled. He has yeah. cerebral palsy. So a lot of our world evolved around him and his needs. Um, we never made our daughter responsible for it at all. I mean, she was not responsible for his care. And if he went to hippotherapy, she went riding right along with him. I mean, we, um, 
you know, really felt like we had a pretty good home. I mean, were we perfect yeah. parents? Absolutely not. I mean, we, there's no such thing. We all no. do, um, you know, that we wish we could do over, but, um, you know, we were a, a pretty good family in that way. Um, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. We tried to, we, we thought we were too. And, and I, I really think we were, um, mm -hmm. honestly, we, we, my wife and I, this is my second marriage. Um, she um, and my son is from my previous marriage, but she's always treated him like hers. I've mm -hmm. always treated hers like mine. And then we have one together. So hers, mine and ours. And um, we never, we, we almost never, her and I almost never fight, mm -hmm. you know? So they never saw that kind of relationship we didn't really believe in corporal punishment, mm -hmm. although we really wanted to sometimes, <laughs> you know, so it, they've always had a roof over their head, food in their belly and have what they need. Yep. You was... know, like you said, were we perfect? Absolutely not. Um, and when we got back together, when I got back together with my son and he explained some of the stuff, I'm like, Oh, well, I had no idea you felt that way about that. And I, I didn't know that happened. Mm -hmm. I had no clue. So it's like, they just, um, I think some of it, I mean, they're a little older. They're my son's 30, 31 or 32 now. Mm -hmm. And, um, but a lot of the, especially the now generation, it's so they, they don't talk about anything, right. you know, they, and I know kids to a point are always been like that. I know I was with my mom, but you know, it's just seems like a much different um, uh, time, I guess. Sound, I sound old, but you know, whatever. Um, so with this, um, I know you, you went searching for groups and support and whatever. Did you ever seek out any professional help? I know I did. Um, I did not. Um, I didn't, once I got reading and educating and, and doing that, I, I really didn't feel that. Yeah. And I, in the past for me, um, I think if therapy works for you, great. And I think people right. should always seek what works best for them. Um, for sure. For me, therapy tends, tended to focus on the negative things in my life and not the positive. So it, it wasn't a good fit for me. Sure. Um, so that's why I didn't do it. But I think absolutely therapy should be um, yeah. pursued if that's your jam. Yeah. And it's funny. I said that something about, I was talking to somebody the other day, if that's your jam. So it's kind of funny. Um, you know, for me, I've, I've had therapy in the past, but, and I'm learning now with doing this support group and talking to people like you um, that there's so many therapists out there that, we'll just say aren't good, mm -hmm. you know, and they just, some of them cause these estrangements. Some of them, the kids go for therapy and they say, Oh, she's toxic or he's toxic. You need to cut them out. And I'm like, without even knowing you, they, they say that the kids could be saying anything true or not true or mm -hmm. from their perspective or even if they don't mean to for it not to be true 
but just to tell them, oh, just you don't need them in your lives. Yeah. It dumbfounds me that mm -hmm. they do that. I've always been of the opinion in, in my group that I'm part of and anybody that I talk to about this, that as long as you weren't physically, emotionally, or sexually abusive to them, there's no reason. I mean, yes, some parents I'm, I know are intense. You know, some kids are intense. <laughs> but unless you under, fall under some of those things, at least in my view, there's, you shouldn't shouldn't just completely cut them out of your life. Um, it's just, especially with no reason given. Yeah. And that just happens so often. So, all right. So I'm not going to comment much on that. I'm just going to play the next clip as sort of a counter, you know, like, like I said, guys, this is kind of a sad topic, but I think it's something worth understanding because it is very very common and <clears throat> i think part of it comes back to this this idyllic sort of expectation of <sighs> happily ever after you know sometimes sometimes shit is fucked up you know sometimes relationships are difficult. Um, and I agree that, you know, with, with that gentleman's kind of stance that it's, it's kind of cruel to just cut somebody out without any clear defined reason. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I will reiterate the idea that every person has the right to kind of live as they choose. Right. And I think, how do I say this? I think it might be fairly common that parents have kids and it brings them so much joy that they assume that that, that kid's purpose is to bring them joy like forever. And I think that pressure often is all it takes to make the kid want to disappear. I always kind of hoped that that I could go about my life and find my own happiness and and then you know my folks would be sort of okay um not not with being completely estranged but with sort of not needing me to be happy right I hope that kind of makes sense you know like I said I'm not estranged from my parents but I I understand. And there have been times where I've kind of needed space, you know, so I can understand it. You know, I never, never once did I want to hurt my folks. That's never my intention, but you know, there have been times where I just, I had to do, do it my way. Right. Um, you know, I think this often maybe happens when there's a difference in sort of lifestyle or worldview that is, is perceived as being such a fundamental sort of difference that it becomes difficult to relate to one another, right? I think COVID caused this in a lot of families because the division was so great and the perspectives were so 
oppositional that it just kind of broke some people um, and some relationships. I'm grateful to say that if anything, you know, I think, I think things are on the mend with my, with my folks. Right. And uh, you know, I know this is getting a little personal, right? Like I never cut off communication, but I, I made clear that, you know, that I wasn't going to be necessarily as, um, reachable as they might like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, as a young man trying to start a business and just trying to figure my own shit out, I, I can just speak from my perspective that there, there are simply times where I just don't really want to have to explain myself or, or appease any, any particular, you know, needs of others. And that sounds selfish, but it's, I think it's reasonable for a young adult to, to prioritize finding their own way and and setting their own course. Right. And it can be difficult to have a sense of being sort of anchored or, or weighed down, right. With sort of perceived obligations. Um, I guess my final thought before I'll play this next one, I think the reason I'm doing this episode, right, is this is a this is a pattern that is playing out in our world, right? And I don't know that it was as prevalent in the past. You know, I think a lot of this has to do with emotional immaturity, you know, inability to communicate, you know, productively. And, and this, this, you know, maybe, maybe this won't sound nice, but I think people have children for the wrong reasons sometimes. You know, if, if the goal of having a kid is to raise a productive member of society to equip them with the skills they need to become a mature adult. You know, it should be considered a victory when that when that child becomes an adult. And there has to be a change in the relationship at that point. Like I said, it does nobody any good to continue to treat adults like children. So here we go. Hi friends, thanks for being here. My name is Jess and today's video I think is going to be a little bit different from previous ones because I want to move away from the narcissistic theme and I want to talk about estrangement between adult children and their parents and specifically I want to actually talk to the to the parents out there who are in the situation where your adult child won't speak to you. And I want to talk to talk to it from my perspective, which is someone who has made the decision not to communicate with my parents and having talked to a lot of people who've, who've made the similar decision. And I want to be very clear from the start. I, I have, Normally on this channel, I do talk about narcissism and narcissistic families. My situation is that 
my parents are, I believe, narcissistic. But I am not saying that any parent whose child doesn't speak to them is a narcissist. That is absolutely, I wanna get that straight out there. That is not what I'm saying. There are gonna be a million different reasons. Every relationship is different. So um, please don't think that just because this is more of a narcissist channel um, that I am talking about this in this situation. That's not my intention. What I want to do is actually just give a few thoughts and perspectives from this side, this side of the, the, the relationship, the child side, as to why, why these situations occur. So I'm just putting the video out there um, in the hopes that if you are struggling with a child who isn't, uh, has made the decision not to speak to you, to just try and give some perspective on, on what's happening, or what could be happening on their side of things and, and really in the hope that it, it, it could help. So from my perspective, there are a few things that are common through the, throughout the, the kind of the estrangement process that adult children make when they decide that they uh, no longer want to have that communication with their parents. So the first point is that the decision, coming to the decision that you are no longer going to communicate with your parent or parents or, or another family member potentially, is a very, very difficult decision for the child to make. It's incredibly difficult. For me, potentially one of the hardest I've ever had to make. It's not done lightly. It is not done on the spur of the moment. It is not done off the cuff in anger from one, one event. It is not childish backlash. It is not adolescent, uh, you know, rebelliousness. It is a decision that is made on the back of a long, long period of difficulty from the child's perspective. There may be a catalyst. There may be something that has brought this, you know, the, the problems to light, but it is not a storm in a teacup. It is not something we're going to just get over and move on. We are adults and we have made that decision very, very carefully. The second point from the child's perspective is that we know, we understand as, as well as you do, how primal and how fundamental the relationship is between the child and the adult, between us and our parents. We know that. We know that. We may not have had that conversation with you, but we know that. And it, it may not be conscious, but we do know how primal the relationship is. And so when we decide to make that cut, to remove ourselves, we hurt too. We understand the biological need to have a good relationship with our parents. We understand the social need to have that bond we understand the stigma around not having a, a happy family or, or, 
or not knowing what to say when someone asks how your family is doing. We, we feel that too, that happens to us as well. So it's happening on both sides. And my goal of making that point is just to show that it is not, it is a very, very complex situation. There is a lot of hurt. And so I'll come back to it. I don't think it's irreconcilable but I think it's a very, very difficult situation. And something, right, something is wrong. You need to accept that something is fundamentally wrong. Whether you want to accept it or not, there is a problem and it needs to be addressed. If you want to fix it, it needs to be addressed. And so I guess if you're thinking, well, you as the parent want to have a relationship with the child and ultimately the child wants to have a relationship with the parent, then why are we doing this? Why aren't we speaking to you? Why, why are we hurting you like this? We're not doing it to hurt you. We're not doing it to hurt you. We're doing it to stop ourselves hurting more. We're doing it because we think, we feel, we feel we don't have any other choice. We don't know any other way around this. It's a last resort. We don't want to have to do this, but we feel that we have no choice. So you could say, well, of course you have a choice. You can come and talk to me about it and we can fix it. Well, we don't feel that we can. We do not feel that that is an option. And that is the fact of the matter where that is our reality from where we're sitting. It's obviously gonna be different to your reality. Otherwise we wouldn't be in this conflict, but it is our reality and it is our valid truth. And we understand, we understand that although this relationship is very, very fundamental to us, it is not sacred. And what I mean by that, it, it is not mandatory. As adults, goes for parents, goes for kids, goes for everybody. As adults, there are no mandatory, obligatory relationships. We all have a choice as to who we have a relationship with. Yes, there are consequences and there are more important relationships than others but ultimately we all have a choice and if you're watching this and you are estranged from your child then the tough love is that your child has realized that they have a choice around their relationship with you and they have chosen not to have one and whilst I don't think it is final. I don't think it is irreconcilable. I don't think it is forever irreversible. But I do think that as much as it, it's hard to break that tie, it's also going to be hard. It's going to be just as much work, just as much to get it back. I think it's possible. But I think the first thing is to realize that your child knows that they have a choice. 
And so if you are watching this and you are wanting to reconcile with your, with your child, I think it's not going to be easy. And so if I can and give you some opinions from my perspective and from what I've seen my parents doing, and I've, I've kind of, the stories I've heard about other parents is, you have to acknowledge that the way your child is feeling and their actions are valid and they're real. You, you probably don't like them, you don't agree with them, but they're valid and they're real and, and they're what your child has decided to do as an adult with the best decision-making abilities that they have available to them. So not acknowledging what they're doing, not acknowledging their reasons, not listening, not um, taking on board the gravity of the situation and not taking responsibility for your side of the relationship is, is not gonna work. Blaming it on entitled millennials of which I've seen or, or that the fact that they don't love you or care about you, the fact that they don't have family values in your way, none of those things are going to help. They're not going to work. They're going to push your child further away. So I would say if I could give any advice on it is to seek a professional help, to seek a counselor, to seek a therapist who are, you know, people are trained in this kind of thing. They can look at it from a from an independent and non-judgmental perspective. They can give you ideas and they can give you tools and strategies. They may even be able to mediate or be a, you know, a kind of a safe in-between. I don't think that estrangement happens randomly or without very good reason. So if you really don't know what that reason is, then you might need to talk it through with someone to get that perspective that maybe your child can't give you because you're so close. You are so close and so enmeshed. Maybe you just need that third person to say, hey, this is, you know, this could be what's going on. This might be what your child is thinking, but they can't tell you. They don't feel safe enough or they haven't even figured it out themselves. So getting professional help with that, I think, is hugely important. And also to work through the feelings and the, the rejection and the grief that comes around this kind of really difficult and heartrending situation. Nobody wants it. Nobody wins. It is fixable, but there's a lot of work to be done there. So I hope that helps a little bit. And I really hope that you can take this video in the, the manner which I mean it, which is to try and help and not ascribe any, ascribe? I think assign actually. No, I'm not trying to blame anybody is what I want to say. I just want to give a perspective and I wish you a lot of luck and a lot of love in, in the situation that you're in. And if you are to flip it around, that child who is thinking about or is estranged from your parents or parent or parents or other family members, then I think be kind to yourself. And to the parents, to out there, let's all be, if we are kind and honest with ourselves and gentle with ourselves and treat ourselves with that love and respect that we want to treat, if we treat ourselves with that, 
then I think we can treat other people in that way. And then maybe reconciliation is a possibility. But either way, we need to make sure that we're looking after ourselves. And if reconciliation means, or staying in the relationship means sacrificing too much of your, what you need for yourself and your life, then that's okay too. All right. So I know that's a lot, guys. That's like a lot of vibes. But I think this shit matters. This shit is important. I see it. I understand it. You know, from both sides, I can I can understand. And, you know, like I said, it just it kind of just sucks. It just sucks. It's sad. You know, and I, I appreciated this this last one, this this lady's words, because she hits on something pretty critical. Yeah, she says that when when it comes to reconciliation, it's very difficult when there's a high degree of what she calls enmeshment. Now, if you're if you're not familiar with what enmeshment means, um Maybe we maybe we should play a clip about it because uh, it it matters. Um, let's see, enmeshment and estrangement. Let's see what comes up here. I've not prepared this clip, but let's see. I'll have to cut out the long awkward pause. All right, let's see, let's see about this one here. If you're at all involved in the field of psychology or self-help or even spirituality, chances are you have heard the term enmeshment or at the very least enmeshment trauma. Today in this episode, I'm going to explain to you what exactly enmeshment is and also explain to you some of the most common effects that enmeshment trauma causes. I want you to imagine a child who's sitting in a high chair. When mom is trying to feed this child, this child is not hungry, but mom is not going to accept the truth of I'm not hungry, and so she takes that spoon and just shoves it in the child's mouth anyway. Now I want you to imagine a father. This father really wants significance and status, but by proxy. He wants his daughter to go to an Ivy League school and to become a doctor, so he puts incredible amounts of pressure on her to do just that, and so she does. She ends up getting all straight A's. She ends up going to an Ivy League college. She ends up a doctor and not very happy at that because she doesn't even know if that's what she wants to do in the first place. Now I want you to imagine that a woman's husband is absent emotionally and physically, but she's got a son. So she decides to make this son her surrogate husband. She leans on him emotionally and tells him all of her secrets and calls him her best friend. Suddenly, he feels torn because he finds himself in a situation where he's filling a role that's both threatening and feeling all wrong to him, only he feels he has no way out of it. But he also loves that specialness and importance that being in that role guarantees him. There are so many examples I could sit here and give to you, on top of the ones I just gave you, but what they will all have in common is that in this family dynamic, there is no recognition of self within this family. There is no healthy autonomy. 
Autonomy, which is having a sense of self versus other, is an important part of physical existence for a person within a social group. What people need is to be able to have themselves and have other people too at the very same time. Most people like to think of boundaries like a fence in between themselves and others, themselves and the rest of the world. This is not a really great way of thinking about boundaries. It's better to think about boundaries like a definition, right? So I want you to imagine that we are floating in this sea of energy. Everything's energy. It looks sort of like static on a television screen. And all of a sudden you start to see definition within the static so that images start to appear within the static. When an image starts to differentiate itself from the rest of the static, then that is essentially what a boundary is. It is a self being defined from other. Therefore, it's better to think about boundaries as that which defines you relative to everything else. A boundary is the imaginary line that uniquely defines your personal happiness, your personal feelings, your personal thoughts, your personal integrity, your personal desires, your personal needs, and therefore, most importantly, your personal truth from the rest of the universe. If you want to understand boundaries on a deeper level, you can watch my video titled Personal Boundaries versus Oneness, How to Develop Healthy Boundaries. In an enmeshed relationship, personal boundaries are permeable, undifferentiated, and unclear. An enmeshed family or an enmeshed relationship does not recognize boundaries. <laughs> There's no real recognition or honoring of a person's, or any members within this type of a dynamic, personal feelings, personal thoughts, personal wishes, personal desires, personal truth. In fact, in an enmeshed dynamic, differentiating yourself from the other person or the other people in this circumstance creates consequences. Consequences such as punishment or abandonment. So the result is you either choose those consequences and allow yourself to be controlled, or in order to maintain harmony in the relationship and closeness, you have to give yourself up and mirror the other person. What I mean by mirror the other person is you give yourself up so that your feelings or your thoughts or your desires or your personal truth either is the exact same as theirs, or is what they want those things to be. The payoff that happens in these enmeshed relationships is often an enhanced sense of belonging in the relationship. But that enhanced or intensified sense of belonging comes at a serious price. Most parents who are alive today have children because they imagine that having a child is gonna meet some need of theirs. The problem is, is that a child is born with an autonomous self, right? They're born with their own thoughts. They're born with their own feelings. They're born with their own destiny. Even. They're born with their own personal truth. And so the child very rarely conforms to meeting whatever need the parent thought the child was gonna meet when they had the child. To be completely honest with you, this is a recipe for disaster. To understand more about this, you can watch my video titled, The Defective Doll. If a person is enmeshed in their adult relationship, that adult relationship isn't really where you need to be looking. You need to be looking at their childhood relationships because this is a style of relating to other people that they have learned in their childhood. Enmeshment is almost always an element of dysfunctional families. Here's the sad part. We're living in a day and age where actually most families are dysfunctional, not functional. In fact, our current definition of normal parenting is actually dysfunctional parenting. Most parents today still see a child as something that belongs to them. It's mine. 
rather like a child is a ball of clay and it's up to the parents how to mold that clay into what they want that clay to become. Most of the time, this is really more about their best interest than their child's best interests. I know that that's going to trigger a lot of you when I say that, and it's probably going to elicit a lot of defense from people who want to defend their family or people who want to defend their own parenting. But the reality is, is that the majority of the time when parents are trying to mold a kid into what they want the kid to become, it's actually for their best interest, not the kid's best interest. No parent who is creating enmeshment trauma for their child will actually know or even admit to the fact that they're doing this. Instead, they're going to think and say that everything that they're doing, they're doing for their child's best interests. Now, this becomes an active gaslight for the child. Why? Because the parent is doing things that are hurting the kid. All these things don't feel good. And yet I'm being told as a child that they're for my own best interests, right? So any child who's put in that type of a situation is going to feel gaslit. And not only that, they're going to learn two things. The first is love must mean pain. And the second is to love means to give myself up, right? It means sacrificing my needs and wants and truths for another person. At a certain point in childhood, it is absolutely critical to step into the empowerment of a sense of autonomy. This is really what a child's doing when they go through that no phase, right? They're exercising their own personal boundaries. They're sorting through the contrast in the world to figure out how they are feeling as opposed to how mom is feeling or how the dog is feeling, right? They're sorting through the world in order to figure out what they like and don't like. That's a really critical element in a personal development. So when we're dealing with enmeshment trauma, what we're actually dealing with is developmental trauma. It's that autonomy was not allowed to develop in a healthy way within this person. If a parent does not recognize and mirror and work with instead of against that process of differentiation, a child has to try to establish a sense of himself or herself despite the parent. The problem is, is that human beings, we're a relationally dependent species. I mean completely. That means the number one need we have is actually closeness with the social group. So is a kid going to maintain a sense of autonomy despite their parent? Usually not. Usually what's gonna happen when the parent makes autonomy an enemy to himself or herself is the child will opt to get rid of themselves or their autonomous identity and they will not differentiate specifically to maintain rapport and closeness with the parent. At a biological level, we know that what we risk for upsetting our parents is our actual survival. This means that if a parent does not see or sees but turns against a child's self, most children will abandon the self in favor of closeness to that parent. But this child never goes on to develop a core and a sense of self. This child becomes an adult who loses himself or herself in relationships. As a result, this person experiences a deep need for relationships, but at the same time, he or she pushes people away because having no strong sense of self and therefore autonomy he or she feels rather like he or she is disappearing or being consumed by the other person that she or he is in a relationship with. It's a very emotionally claustrophobic experience. When a person has not actually developed a healthy sense of self, what happens to them in their adult relationships is really one of two things. All people who have no real strong sense of self gravitate towards people who have a strong sense of self. Now, these people can fit into two categories, dangerous and not so dangerous. 
If a person who experiences enmeshment trauma gravitates towards the not so dangerous category of strong personality people, they're still going to give away themselves, even though nobody, including this strong willed personality person or person with a strong core, didn't ask them to give themselves away. They're going to do it anyway because they've already learned to do that. So let's say that this person who had enmeshment trauma gets into a relationship with somebody who drives Harley Davidsons. Maybe that person isn't really a mean person, isn't really a narcissist, doesn't really care whether they are really into Harley Davidsons or not. This person is still going to get into a relationship with them, get into Harley Davidsons, drop everything else that they're doing, and then later get mad about it. They're going to be like, well, wait, well, I gave up everything that I was for you and for motorcycles when it was never actually something that they were asked to do. So that's one path. The other path is they're going to find their way back into a relationship with a narcissist, with somebody where the actual expectation in that relationship is you do give yourself up, in fact. And then they're just expected to do the same thing with that person that they did in childhood. People with enmeshment trauma have learned a codependent style of relationship. They're at war with themselves because all at once they want to be the same as the other person so as to establish closeness with them, but also to push them away and define themselves as different because they crave a sense of self and independence. They are constantly trapped between the thoughts and feelings of others and their own thoughts and feelings, the wants and needs of others and their own wants and needs, the personal truth of others and their own personal truth. They see intimacy as deeply needed, but also as a serious threat. So it's quite common that when you're involved with somebody who has enmeshment trauma, that it's going to feel like a constant push and pull. So like we said before, enmeshment trauma is in fact a developmental trauma. Right? It's that a person was not able to develop in a healthy way or a normal way, a sense of separate self. If you are somebody who has experienced enmeshment trauma, it's going to be a process because it is a developmental issue to learn what you actually should have learned early in childhood, but now in your adult life, to learn how to have a relationship where you can have yourself at the same time as being in relationship with other people. Because chances are, if you came from this type of a situation, you can only feel a strong sense of self in one or another scenario. Here's what it looks like. Either you can only feel yourself when you're totally alone, or you can only feel it yourself when you're in a relationship, but opposed to someone. Meaning you've got to be in conflict with them or setting yourself apart from them or pushing against something to even feel like you have a boundary. Now, both isolation, so you can feel yourself, and opposition, so you can feel yourself, leads to suffering. In order to heal from enmeshment trauma, you must do what you were never able to do in childhood, which is to actually develop a healthy sense of self, or what we would call a core. This means developing boundaries, learning how to have the self within the context of relationship without resorting to either codependent or narcissistic strategies. Obviously, this process goes much better when the entire family is involved in altering the way that each member relates to the other so that each can have a sense of self and maintain closeness with each other too. To understand more about this, you can watch my video titled Family, The Truth About Family. But when this is not possible, this can be done within a friendship or within a partnership. Again, if you're doing this within a friendship or a partnership, it's best if the other person is involved in this process too. It's pretty important that they understand that you've got some developmental trauma, right? Because they're going to be participating and helping you to have a sense of self within the relationship. 
This process of working to define yourself means figuring out what you feel and think and like and dislike and need and want, and then making changes to determine the course of action that best suits your needs and communicating effectively with the other person too. Don't forget that healing from enmeshment, which is really an extreme form of codependency, doesn't mean swinging the pendulum all the way to the opposite side and becoming narcissistic, where it's all about me and I. And it. That's not what it's about. What it's about is really powerfully learning to define your personal feelings, thoughts, needs, wants, preferences, truths, right? At the same time as recognizing that other people also have their own feelings, thoughts, needs, preferences, truths. And everything that you do impacts them the same way that everything they do impacts you. So it's about there being two in a relationship, not just one. If you have enmeshment trauma, it's always been one person in a relationship. That's whoever you had to enmesh yourself to, right? We don't want to swing the pendulum where all there is in the relationship now is you. It's about two. The scary reality if you have suffered from enmeshment trauma is that you're not actually living an authentic life. If you were not allowed to develop a healthy sense of self, and you didn't really know what your personal feelings and thoughts and desires and needs and purpose and truth was, then how can you expect yourself to have made the right decisions for you specifically up to this point? The reality is you probably made a lot of decisions and changed a lot about your life based on something that's not actually real about you or true to you. You could have chosen relationships with people who are not actually compatible to you. Now, this is both terrifying for you and other people in your life. It means that becoming authentic may imply many, many changes to your life, changes that will affect you and everyone around you. But life satisfaction, which could be the only reason you are watching this video right now, is really only possible on the other side of deciding to live an authentic life. It's on the other side of you powerfully figuring out what your unique feelings, thoughts, needs, preferences, truths, are so that you can make the right decisions for you in your life. The good news is the life that you've always been looking for and missing out on is on the other side of doing this. Have a good week. If you like. Wow. You know, I'm glad I stumbled onto that video. Um, you know, I've always kind of had an instinct, right, that I've been following, finding my way. And man, this shit just hits, hits home. Like, I had to find empowerment more or less on my own. I had to discover my autonomy. You know, and this is not meant to blame or shame. It's just the truth. And I think this pattern is very, very, very common. Like she said, truly functional families are pretty rare. Yeah, you, know, you can have a loving family, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's fully functional. Sometimes love is the hardest part, right? This idea of the boundaries of oneself sort of being out of one's own hands to define and control. 
that that you're shaped like a block of clay instead of being true to your to your god-given form you know it's very uncomfortable to be turned into something you aren't or or to be made to feel as if what you are is is not what you should be not what you were expected to be you know, i think this whole thing about kids needing to develop a sense of autonomy it's so huge it's so huge it's why once again i think the the public school system is so detrimental you know until the age of 18 we give almost no autonomy you know yeah you can get your driver's license at 16 or whatever but even then you know you're not autonomous you're you're expected to you know sit still be quiet only get up and move when the bell rings you know and i remember as a as a as a sort of a young teenager even preteen starting to express you know thoughts and ideas of my own you know i remember questioning things and often being sort of accused of being a pessimist for questioning norms, right? You know, it's a small thing, but I remember one time saying, you know, to my, to my mom and to my sisters, like, I just don't understand the whole three months salary on a ring. You know, it's a small thing, but I, I brought that up. I was like, that just seems like a lot of money. Three months, like just to, just to create a symbol when, Truth be told, you could have a ring of any shape or size, and it, it means the same thing, but somehow it has to be proportional to how much money you make in order for it to be valid. And, you know, I remember being basically told, like, oh, quit being such a such a negative Nancy. Like, it's a it's a display of affection, of, of romance. I'm like, I, even then, as like a 12-year-old, I'm like, it shouldn't have anything to do with money. You know, that, that symbol, it could be a piece of string, you know, it doesn't have to be gold or diamonds or any of that shit. I mean, I understand that that's an exciting moment and that having a beautiful ring on your finger is, is a good feeling for a lady, you know, but it's sort of more about status than it is about the true nature of commitment and love. And I understood that even as a 12 year old, but I was told, Oh, quit it. You know, you don't really think that way. You know, again, another small thing, but I remember for whatever reason, I was told you're not a Mike, you're a Michael. You know, my mom always wanted a Michael. She always loved that name, I guess. And apparently, you know, I was told that they they wanted a boy, right? I have two older sisters, and you know, I I don't know if they said something to the effect of they were gonna keep trying or if either way they were gonna stop at third, but the third kid, but they really wanted a boy. And they were so happy to have a boy. A boy named Michael. 
But when it came to becoming a man named Mike, there was some, some trouble there, some issues there. I remember my sister saying to me one time, you know, as, I, as I developed my political beliefs and I began to align myself with anarchism, you know, the first time I ever sort of called myself an anarchist in their presence, my sister says, no, you're not. You're not an anarchist. What are you talking about? I said, you don't know what the word means and you don't know what I am. Only I know what I am. I think she's hitting on this shit so well in this video. This issue of enmeshment is massive. And I could certainly relate to what she called emotional claustrophobia. You know, truth is I at times have, I, I've had a couple of really positive, you know, rom romantic relationships, but there was always for me a sense of almost being trapped in the relationship, being emotionally claustrophobic, that sense of losing a certain amount of self to the other, losing my autonomy, losing my boundaries. I can fully and completely relate to that. And, you know, it's like nobody ever put the words together for me to, to make me understand why. She just did a better job of explaining to me why I have difficulty in relationships than darn near anyone. I'm grateful that I pulled that video up, you know, kind of spur of the moment. This stuff matters, man. This stuff matters. And I did. I would be like a pendulum, you know, swinging from solitude to social, right? Because I would wear myself out trying to fit others' expectations. And then, you know, I would need to crawl away into my into my solitude just to regain a sense of self. Some shit I got to work on, y'all. This is some shit I got to work on. Like I said, you know, I'm not trying to blame anybody in particular. I think this is a cultural ill, just like many others. And perhaps, you know, the generation or two before us didn't have the language, didn't understand how to deal with this stuff. You know, I think a lot of stuff just kind of went unaddressed for many generations, right? Like we were adapting to this new way of living as people in like the post-industrial revolution world that we now find ourselves in. And people were not equipped to, to evolve into this space. You know, I think families tended to probably be more functional sort of in the, in the agrarian and, and tribal kind of setting as opposed to, you know, this, this world of, you know, cities and, and global economy. And, you know, it's become more difficult to develop naturally, right? This is what it boils down to. It's <clears throat> natural childhood development versus like these, these artificial ideas that we have been convinced of, right? We've become convinced that kids are not able to, 
to be autonomous. We cannot trust them with autonomy when that's exactly what you have to do to raise a child is learn to trust them more and more to be autonomous so they can become empowered. They can become an individual. They can find their own destiny. You know, she kind of reiterated what I tried to express earlier about, you know, the reason people have kids so often is, is kind of just, you know, scratching a selfish itch and to, to act as if giving life to somebody means that they owe you happiness. It's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. This is a big one, y'all. You know, if you're still listening, good for you. You know, we're trying to become grown-ups here, right? Like, I'm done being a kid. I'm fucking over it. I'm done with it. So many people are still caught in a state of adolescence at 40, 50, 60, 70 years old because we were not well taught. In fact, you know, I think there's a lot of forces working against autonomy for a, a variety of reasons. They don't want you to be self-empowered. They don't want you to be autonomous. They want you to be easily controlled, you know, emotionally manipulated into doing as, as some power dictates instead of what is true and right for you. You know, that's about all I got. I, I don't have any more answers here. But I think I've, I've at least got a few things to consider and a few new tools, new ideas, new words, new concepts to, to work with. And I guess I'll just leave it at that. So thank you for listening easy peasy podcast and I will talk to you guys 